Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel and this is One on One, Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Revenit Margot Batwinik currently serves with her husband as the Mizrahi OU-JLIC couple on the IDC campus. In 2017, she graduated from Matan's Bellows Eshkelot Educators Institute for Tanakh and Jewish Studies. Margot, it's great to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Yosefa. I love this idea, and it's exciting to be part of it. Please tell us how you got into the world of your Jewish education. Where did that start for you? I would say... You know, it started in my home. My parents themselves, while perhaps never formally in Jewish education, um, everything about them really embodied the idea of how important the Jewish people are. Um, they were, I was constantly reminded that I was the granddaughter of four Holocaust survivors that really permeated my home, although we didn't speak about it so much. And even from a young age, my parents actually took in foster siblings for me, foster children for them, siblings for me. And I think they were all Jewish. That really, that had a very big impact on me, the importance of seeing every every Jew as important and every Jew is worth it. And no matter kind of the difficulties that they were going through, I think it helped shape to see me as somebody who... And I has this burden of responsibility to to do good, to continue that good, um, to bring more good into the world. And yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful to my to my family for that. Wow, that's a that's a very special, unique circumstance that you that you grew up in. Um, <laughs> yeah. And after you left home, um, gap year program or Stern, how, how did that develop from there? How did you choose to specifically go into Jewish education? You know, it's so interesting. It's a, there's so much that goes into, I mean, th- to every person. Um, I think I, w- I was always very inspired by my teachers. Even from second grade, I'll, I remember Maura Leifer telling me that um, my Hebrew name was Margalit when I when I answered something and she told me, you know, Margalis, Margalis, that's like Uncleus. One day you'll be an Uncleus. <laughs> and, you know, it inspired me. In middle, <laughs> in middle school, Rabbi Yaakov Glasser um, was just, I was involved in junior NCSY, and he was just the most phenomenal speaker and really inspired me in terms of Torah learning. But in high school, my teacher, Mrs. Rifka Kahan, she taught me Tanakh in my freshman year and junior year of high school, and she really changed my life. She opened my eyes to the depth of Tanakh study. I'll never forget, like, challenging her. On the first day of classes in ninth grade, she asked us, she gave us our homework, was to read through a parak of Tanakh and ask questions on it. And I remember I went over to her after class with my friend Sarah, and with attitude, (laughs) I was like, what do you mean read a parak? You know, you re- you do a CM on a parak in middle school. And what do you mean ask questions like me, MRL, me? Like I had no idea what she meant, but she really taught me to kind of critically read Tanakh. And um, I'm forever grateful to her for that. But then, yeah, of course, in Madrash at Lindenbaum, um, that was continued. Many of the teachers were former Mayanote teachers. Um, you know, Sally Mayer, Nomi Berman, Ravneet Shani Tarragon. Um, Elisa Zimmerman, Toba Ryan, 
they were, you know, people who really, really continue to inspire me. So you really have a whole plethora of women that you look at as as your role models that you sort of built up to that place yes. um, with them in your mind's eye and the front or in the back, right? Yes, yes. So many. It was such, I was given such a worldview. Like Maya Nu led into Madrasha Lindenbaum, which continued into Stern, into Matan, such a shita, such an approach. So many teachers who were kind of in conversation with each other. Just the kind of this approach to Judaism that I know that there's, you know, there's this debate in Jewish education um, that I saw a lot while teaching in high school. Do we want to, you know, give students lots of different you know, points of understanding what Judaism is all about, or do we want to give them one approach? And um, I, I really hear the debate. Like when I was teaching in Kushner, there were teachers from Lakeview and more, a more Chabad teacher and a more Gush teacher. I don't know if these stereotypes, what these stereotypes mean to different people, but um, I think what I, and that's great for a lot of students, but I, it's very clear to me that this approach that I was given really helped shape the way that I view the world and then allowed me to tweak it and challenge it and understand what it is and then like delve into it more. Um, yeah. You know, I think that different students, different things work for them. And for some people, uh, sort of monolithic approach is good, although often ends up getting challenged. And then when it's monolithic, it doesn't have so much to stand on. Yes. Uh, and while uh, giving a multidimensional approach is harder um, because it's harder to convey nuance to students, even when they're really, really intelligent high school students. But ultimately, the the person has a lot more to rely on as they go through life. They have more, they have a, just a more multi-layered uh, paradigm for them. And so it, it could serve them in so many ways. But yeah, it, right. it is a debate. And I think it, it really, there isn't any one right answer. And sometimes somebody will find themselves in the throes of a particular answer, and it's good for them. And another student can find themselves in the throes of a different answer in the school that they're at, and it doesn't serve them well. So it's, yes, I don't think there's any yes, white, 100%. Right, one right answer to that. But I'm really happy that you were able to get something that you felt was also consistent, and also multi-layered. I think that's that's unique. And that's part of, I guess, what really inspired yes, you. Yes, totally. Um, okay. So I don't, you know, you'll, you'll let us know where you are now in what you're seeing, but uh, are there phenomena that you see in young women today regarding Torah study, particularly positive or negative? Meaning what, are there any phenomena that you see in, in the people that you're exposed to now that's different, similar to what you experienced when, you know, when you were younger or not so old? <laughs> But even but even ten years in the world we live in now is a really long time, and there's so much that shifts in in that amount of time. So I'm just curious, specifically in regards to women and their modeling or their Torah learning, are there things that you see that are different now? Um, yes, wow. Than what what you had. The first thing I would say is that something I kind of want to tell the generation above me and the generation before that is thank you because you know it worked. It worked. This you know this fight. Um, for for women's learning, for women learning Gemara, for um, for for you know, so much of what they fought for, I really like. I said, I feel I'm such a product of that. that that's both of us, by the way. So I'm I'm going to join yes. in. I'm going to join into that <laughs> yes. moment of gratitude. I I wouldn't. Yes, <laughs> we got to be the people who it was very obvious for us that it exists and it's an option. So 
I'll, I'll join with you on that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And to the point that also it was so shocking to me the first time to meet people that didn't necessarily, you know, view the world in that way that was challenging the way that I viewed the world, the way that I, that I wanted to learn. I remember every year in Mayanu, there was a unit, a month long unit where we learned responses to like wh- why women can learn Gemara. And I always thought it was so ridiculous. It was like the same test every year. And then there was an essay at the end as to why, what we thought should happen. <laughs> but then, yeah, I was on a Pesach program, um, you know, a counselor and somebody at my table was, was challenging the fact that I, that I learned. And for the first time, I was like, <laughs> now's my time to shine. Like, let me, you know, let me whip out those sources. Um, <laughs> And at the same time, I think what's, what is crazy is how, how quickly you could, let's say, you know, win that fight in a way. And then it's taken for granted when really there's so much more work to do. Meaning, uh, I remember also when I was, I was sitting in, in a woman in halacha class when I was a Madricha at Lindenbaum and that I, I think Sally Mayer was teaching and I just want to hear how she taught it. And I, I don't remember exactly what the topic was, but the 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 students the the girls responded like come on Sally we don't don't worry everyone agrees everyone knows that women can do this and that women can do that and we're we don't worry about it like we, we don't have to learn this anymore um and, and I th- I think that's where I would I feel like the phenomena almost that I'm trying to build or inculcate into my students is to tell them like, wait, don't stop. Like there really is so much more to, so, so much more to go. So much, I feel like something that I want to tell my students a lot and I do tell my students a lot is if I see that even for a moment they have an inclination to go into Jewish education, I really, really encourage them. We're, there's a lot of us, quote unquote, but there really aren't. And to tell them like, we need you and please learn and keep going. Don't worry that you have struggles. We all have struggles. Keep asking those questions, but, but don't think that like the Jewish world is kind of, is fine now and that we don't need you anymore. To, you know, don't think that they look around at all of their, you know, seminary teachers or role models from home um, and, and think that we're fine. Is this point making sense? Like, I, I yeah, think I, that I, I think it is making sense. I also think that um, that there's a difference between women who love learning, and they love learning, and they're going to go on to be doctors, or they're right. going to go on to be computer technicians. And then there's women who love learning, and they also want to teach. Those are they're two different categories of women, and right. I think that they both need encouragement. Um, there definitely are not everyone who loves learning is going to be, is going to be built to be a teacher or an educator or, uh, you know, some sort of role model. Um, but you're saying that there's possibly an idea that people think like, oh, we don't really need anybody else. Cause there's so many women out there now. And there are, there's so many more in comparison to what there were 20 years ago. It's true. Uh, and jobs aren't so easy to find, but right. we'll get we'll get to that a little bit right. later when we talk about what you guys are doing. Um, you know, jobs are not so simple to find, and a lot of times people go into this world and they're not interested in teaching in high school, even though that's largely where people are needed more. Margot, you've told us up until this point that you want women to know that the work isn't done, and that while we've developed and there are Marot Halacha, women studying in all different halachic programs like Matanas to offer and women 
fulfilling spiritual leadership roles. And while that has been a tremendous progression and uh, gift to the modern world, I would really like to also know where else you would like to see things going from here. What do you see uh, from your view that can be improved and changed for the future in general in the Torah world and also specifically for women? I think when it comes to every area of halacha, every area of Jewish life, there's need for more modern women voices. And it's very exciting to see as more women kind of have the courage to to speak up and to speak. But I would say in a less, I don't know, in a less political way, um, it's very exciting. I think the Torah world is very, very exciting right now. I'm, I'm amazed by what Herzog has been putting out, by what Magid Books is doing, by what Koren is doing. I'm following as every book on Tanakh keeps coming out, you know, those white and blue books in English. Um, Aleph Beta, I'm a huge fan. I just, I find every day I'm hearing about a new app or, you know, a new website that someone else is developing in the Jewish world to make Torah learning that much more acceptable accessible with that much more depth. And I think we're living in a very exciting time, certainly to be a woman. It's a very exciting time to be a woman in the Jewish world. On the one hand, there are fewer opportunities. Um, There are few opportunities. And on the other hand, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity. The world, I, I feel, is excited about women's learning right now. My husband is a better speaker than I am but I'm asked to speak more often, right? There's, there's, because I'm a woman and we know that (laughs) because it's, it's hard, (laughs) it's harder to find that. Affirmative action in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we find that very interesting, you know, thank God his, um, he's, he's very humble and is just very supportive along the way. (laughs) Um, and you know, doesn't at all give it, give it a moment's thought, but I, I think that it is, while it's true that, I mean, I don't mean to say that, you know, it's easy, but I, I do think that there's more and more excitement for women, a desire for more talent and more, um, more chachma, more knowledge, more, more yoatzot halacha, more people who are taking their Judaism seriously and learning Torah seriously. Um, and I think that's exciting. Amazing. So, you know, I really think that this is a good segue into hearing about what you actually do right now. Um, you know, this episode, I really, we're focusing on the concept of, of leading in Torah and, uh, and, and tell us what you do. Tell us what you, you and your husband do together. Uh, it's, it's a really unique job that I, if I'm not mistaken, you guys are the first ones to do it in Israel. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so let us know, tell, tell us what you're doing. Okay. I'll, I'll illustrate with a, with a quick story. Um, IDC Herzliya is a proudly secular university. I remember teaching in the high school and seminary world, and we would actually tell students not to go to IDC unless they were going to live in Givat Shmuel or a more religious community. And there were a couple of students who were in NYU, decided they want to come back to Israel, enrolled in IDC, and were finding it very difficult religiously without any basic infrastructure. And they actually reached out to the OU, which has um, these OU JLIC campuses, over 20 of them in North America and Brandeis in Maryland and Penn everywhere. And in long story short, they actually raised themselves $25,000 and reached out to the OU and said, please, please get us a JLIC couple. And we were in that lucky position to get this role. 
When we first got here, we thought it was going to be coffee dates with a couple of students. The very first Shabbat, we said, we'll do Kabbalat Shabbat in our apartment. We didn't know if we'd get a minion. And 40 students showed up and they were looking around at each other and they were just like, wait, are you, are you religious? Did you? And, you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, you can't necessarily tell they weren't necessarily wearing kippahs or skirts around campus, but yeah, they were, it was coming out. Yeah. I went to my note. I went to Ramaz. I went to Frisch schools that aren't also just in the tri-state area. And from there, um, it, it grew the next week there were 70 and now we're at a community of about 400 students. Wow. We've learned that there are between three and 400 North American Yeshiva day school students alone in IDC. More and more students are making Aliyah. And in short, I'd say it's it's an exciting place to be. There's just there's a there's certainly a desire for Aliyah in a way that I, I don't there there's there didn't used to be. Right when I was in high school a little over a decade ago, you if you wanted to make Aliyah after high school, you were either a radical radical Zionist or like you wanted to do the army or you were off the derech. Like there was very little. Um, and now we're seeing so much excitement, so much encouragement from high schools, so many more students making Aliyah. And we kind of happen to be perfectly situated here. And I don't know if that explains it, but at this point now, you know, just it, now we're in our fourth year. First year, there was one married couple. Now there's close to 20 married couples, many of whom met through the community there's, you know, daily. I actually, I actually think I, I taught, I taught some kalot who were some couples who met there. Yeah. That's definitely possible. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's, I mean, I, you could, you could tell I'm very I'm super passionate about it. It's very, it's, it's, it's very exciting what's happening here. And I think it's because we don't just see it as what's happening in IDC, but we see it as kind of, you know, like a, a little kibbutz gully over here of how many people are, are really coming and making Aliyah. Last year, um, along with, with Mizrahi's partnership, they opened up a JLIC also in, in Bar-Ilan University. And obviously there's push from students around Israel mm-hmm. to open up more. And yeah. Are you, are you also involved in students who are from European countries? Meaning is it, yes. is it students from everywhere? Because IDC is full yeah, of students Yeah, very astute point and great question. When we first got here, we were actually nervous about that because we knew that our funding was coming from the OU, which not in a bad way, but their mission, their mission is North American Jewry. And I remember even at the first Tish that we went to and this these group of girls from Brazil and Mexico like ran over to me and they were like, can we learn? Can we learn about Sniut? And I was like, no. <laughs> like, I, uh, yeah, sure. But like, you can't, I can't, we don't have funding for you, you know? <laughs> and we very quickly learned that, you know, they were all in classes together and they were all friends with each other. And that's definitely something very unique about this community. It's, it's truly an international community. One that I've, I, I didn't really know Jews from all around the world. And now I do. And that sheds light on, you know, very different types of Judaism. Yeah. Growing up in, in New York or New Jersey, you get a very, very narrow slice yes. of, of Judaism. And then ironically, when you 
make Aliyah. And if you somehow, you know, go to university here or do something like this, where you're exposed to students from all over the world, it's a very humbling experience. And yes, and it's important because there really are a lot of different versions out there. And we get so used to a certain narrative, you know, that's either tri-state or perhaps, you know, Jerusalem-based, particularly if you're an Anglo-Ole. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, there's something really nice about meeting people from all over the world. Yes, um, totally. So that's great. So what, what are actually your responsibilities? What are you guys doing there? Wow, what a question. <laughs> what are we, you we're, not we're doing creating... on a regular basis? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying to create Jewish life in, in IDC, in Herzliya. So, you know, we, we do, we fundraise 100% of our, of our program budget. And, you know, there's the social media, but, you, but, you know, on a larger scale, there's, there's all religious infrastructure, whether that's ensuring that, you know, there are the mikvahs for students, that there's, you know, helping out with different issues of kashrut. Um, there's, you know, all of Shabbat life, all of the chagim, um, but also kind of the day-to-day chavruta learning, mentorship, pastoral guidance, personal guidance, halachic guidance, um, and I'd say it's a lot of leadership building, a lot of meeting with students and asking them what it means to build a Jewish community and what they want their Jewish community to look like. We're seeing a lot of students choose to stay in Herzliya afterwards in the hopes of really building up kind of a community that for those that know these communities, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's not exactly Givashmal, but it's not exactly Tel Aviv, but it's not exactly Yerushalayim, it's Herzliya. And they're kind of, they really see themselves as shaping this new Jewish community in Israel. And that's just two of you doing all that? Do you have staff at this point or people who help that's you out? That's a great question. We we have a, you know. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed yeah, just listening to that yes, sentence. <laughs> yes, it's definitely, <laughs> it is overwhelming. Um, we, you know, we have a very amazing relationship with the university, um, the head of the university, Jonathan Davis also really, you know, gives us a lot of, a lot of chizuk, um, OUJLIC, Ms. Rahi also, you know, the network there, um, is phenomenal. Our colleagues constant, you know, it's, we're not alone in that way. In a very practical way, we're alone. And, you know, that's kind of, the shlichut of anyone yeah. who's ever kind of done shlichut of really figuring things out yourself. Um, there's, you know, there's a Garin Torani in Herzliya. The only thing is, and they're amazing also, this is the only English speaking anything in this area of Herzliya. It's very Israeli Chiloni community that I think most people who are probably listening to this podcast, if you come to Herzliya, it's like, it's to go to the beach, maybe. Herzli is not a place that people come to because it doesn't really have that sort of communal infrastructure. Yeah, it's not not a beacon of religious life over there. Right, right. <laughs> At the same time, I'll just note something cool about Israel is that there still are like 16 shuls within walking distance, tons of kosher restaurants. You know, it's it's still, there's still a two-da in every, in every supermarket. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just that's just something cool about being in this country. Yeah, totally. What what is the further potential that you see in the work that you're doing? Is this a position that theoretically you can fill for years? Is this something that you know <laughs> there's an age bracket on this? Um, we we do talk about that all the time. OUJLIC nationally speaks about that all the time. There are couples that are certainly extending their, you know, there are couples that have been there for close to 20 years now um, in their positions. But I, I think for us, um, 
Whether we're the couple here or not, the potential is certainly there for many years to come. And the idea of we're in touch with the municipality about building a shul, um, in touch with the university about, about partnering with that, um, and really helping to build up a Jewish community here that kind of extends beyond just the college community. Um, but we try not to think about it too much and kind of just take it one day or Corona month at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I understand that. Um, <laughs> I'm just also curious, you know, you've spoken about phenomenon about Aliyah and about diversity that you see on campus and a general trend that people are looking to build community in Herzliya. Um, are there any specific religious phenomena that you see that come across in your work? Um, you know, sort of something more particular if I don't want to give any names to sort of give any lead-ins, but in any sort of religious phenomenon of observance, different kinds of observance, uh, things that you see in your day-to-day. You know, on the one hand, to avoid the question, there are no trends, meaning uh, students are just, they're so different from each other, not just because they're from different countries. At this stage of life, it's just fascinating how um, you know, here, when you really speak to a student where, where they're at, um, and where they want to go. And I, I, I feel like trends would be almost like minimizing the, the humanity of each student. I don't know if that, if that sounds too extreme, but, but anytime I think there's a trend, then, then I'm surprised. Okay. I want to, I want to be specific. You, you're explaining that, that you have a lot of students coming on campus to learn, but they're not necessarily correlated with a religiously observant lifestyle. Uh, is it something that you see happening that you have a lot of students who separate those two? Is that something that you feel is different than what you saw when you were younger, that there's a, a differentiation between learning versus observance? Um, and do you, do you see yourself as they're building infrastructure in a Kiruv way, or is it just to build infrastructure so that it exists for whoever's interested? Okay, those are two very very separate questions. I'll start with the second one. With the <laughs> yeah, they are separate. Yeah. Feel free to separate them. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll start with the Kiruv point because I think, you know, um, OUJLIC is very interesting that when we first got here even, they were very clear to us that this isn't Kiruv. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but that's not why we're here. We are here for the students that are that are already religious, for the students that are interested in learning. Maybe the students who aren't, maybe the the, the rest can find Chabad, right? The rest can find, um, you know, Aish or I don't know other amazing resources. But to be there for the religious students, high level Torah learning, that was our mission. And when students would come and say to us, "Can you?" And like to my husband, "Can you teach me to wrap tefillin?" Girls asking me to, you know, if I could help them reading Hebrew. The answer really was no. And it was so hard for us, but we recognized that we needed to focus our focus um, our our resources and our time and our energy. But I think this is what was so amazing. I think our kind of it was so clear to students how uninterested we were in them that it made them come. It made them come back. They didn't want that, let's say, that watered down Russia. They didn't. They love students with no background. Love the Tanakh and Gemara Shirim. They love the guest speakers because they, they see the authenticity. They see the truth to it. Our, for at least for this community, our non Kirov Shita really worked in terms of doing Kirov. Um, in terms of some of the inconsistencies that we see, 
I think that my husband and I are constantly shocked by the questions that we receive. And, and just to, I don't know, to give some examples, like, we, you know, how many students of ours are having premarital sex and then when they are married, having such minute, minute questions about Tarot Hamishpacha. Oh, I see it as a college teacher. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> and And how many students... What does it mean to keep Shabbos, right? Because they come to Tfilah Friday night and even Shabbat day. They come to the Shirim. They host Shabbos meals. They make Kiddush. They wash. They also check their phones at night, right? And I think that that I, I grew up with a generation that was telling me that this is picking and choosing, and that how that is so wrong, right? The term picking and choosing is such like a, such like a, it's, it's something you tell somebody and it's supposed to make them feel so bad and so inconsistent. Yeah, it's, the, it's the ultimate compromise for yes. those of us who learned in the classic yeshiva settings. It's the, yes. it was the, it was the code name for those who shall not be named. Yeah. Yes. And first of all, I'll say, and I'm sure some will take this the wrong way. I think we're all picking and choosing. I think that whether we realize it or not, in the end of the day, um, you know, none of us live fully consistent, consistent lives. That's that's just very difficult to do, impossible to do, I'd say. Um, but I think that I don't, I'm starting to see these students, they're not picking and choosing. And I remember telling a parent this, you know, a, a father who was speaking to my husband and I, who was struggling with his sons, what he called picking and choosing. It's not that. They're they're really trying to figure out life and they they see inconsistencies and they see issues and they see certain things which i think we'd you know we'd kind of all agree don't exactly make sense within orthodox judaism and they they're tr- they want judaism to be authentic and they want to find their place within it and i think that that's been that's been the phenomenon that that i'm seeing students who are are trying so hard to live authentic lives within Orthodox yeah, you know, Judaism. This is a generational phenomenon. We we missed it by about like eight, 10 years. You a little bit less, me, I'll say about 10 years. Um, <laughs> and the search for authenticity and the des- and as much as we live in a world where there's filters and there's editing, but we live in a world where people they don't want the fake stuff. And this generation, certainly who you're seeing in in college age right now, they're not buying it. Like they don't give any, you know, in Hebrew you say, like they are not giving anybody a discount. They want it full up and they want it to make sense. And they're not willing to just go along. Again, this is, I'm obviously speaking as a generalization. Clearly, that is an important caveat. But as a general um, generational trend, um, the the youth of today, and I would say that there will, I think there will come out of this some very positive things, but they're not willing to cut any slack, uh, and that it needs to it needs to work. And they, but and they're interested, which is the most amazing part. They're interested in finding their place. Yes, meaning they they want to they want to be in it. They just want to make yes. sense of their place in it. Uh, and so I think it's our work as those who educate or who are a few years ahead of the game to try and enable them to find space for themselves. Um, yes. This definitely comes up for me also when I teach. And 
um, I don't want to take any one issue to sort of minimize it, but you know, I'll teach them what actually exists in halakhic literature and they'll say, okay, but everything I see around me doesn't fit into anything of what you just taught me. And, and, and it's a struggle also to, I want to make sure that they feel like they're in, right. but I also don't want to sugarcoat and to say that things are, you know, halakhically permissible when they might not be. Right. Um, and there's, there's definitely, I think that trend that you're describing exists, uh, very broadly. Yes. Um, I think also in the picking and choosing model, um, I often like to speak in with, with the word aspirational, which I might've borrowed from, from a teacher of mine. And I apologize now if I don't remember who it was. Um, but there's a concept of, of, of us aspiring, you know, we're not ever trying to do, we can't ever really do everything. It's not possible. Um, but I would say halacha, even as a system, is an aspirational system. We, we try our best. Uh, and sometimes we're really aware of the places that we're not living up to it. And sometimes we prefer to live in a little bit of blissful ignorance. Um, but it's, and I think that what's different today is that some are more open about the fact that they're not aspiring um mm-hmm. and what do you mean if you identified as religious 10 years ago or more um there were some very clear codes of things that you that you did that you you know even if they were external manifestations i think today the world that we live in um the youth are more they're more comfortable saying i'm not really necessarily aspiring to do that, meaning I'm aware that some people do, but that's not necessarily where I'm holding. And there's a, there's not, we don't live in a world where there's that same, you know, embarrassment or even a need to try and fit in. Um, but, but that this is who I am and I want to find my place in it, but it's not necessarily because I need to do everything from, from A to Z. Yeah. I think I'd say, especially for students who make Aliyah, especially in Israel, we're very often that is coming. Of course, different people make Aliyah for different reasons. But what you're seeing is a ball of passion and students with such strong ideals and they're serving in the army or doing Sherut Lumi and they they really, really care. And also, they're really struggling with Halacha. And or even like you said, they're not necessarily struggling and they're just they're just open about what they do and they don't do, which I think is, yeah, it's definitely something that I'm not used to seeing, but we're, we're trying to understand. Yeah, I, I definitely hear that. Okay, I want us to pivot into, uh, into the, the last pieces of our conversation. Um, as I ask everyone, I ask Margot also to share with us a, a text uh, any text that that really is inspiring for her, that moves her, that guides her in her work. And uh, so please share it with us, what you've chosen. Okay, great. I, I chose a, a quote from an article that I read when I was in college by Rav Moshe Lichtenstein in an article he wrote called Fear of God, the Beginning of Wisdom and the End of Tanakh Study. The quote is as follows. The deeper we delve into Torah, the better we understand it and the issues that it's presenting to us. The more we understand it, the more it will engage us. The more it will engage, the more it engages us, the more we will learn it. The more we learn, the more we identify with it. In short, as Rambam put it in Hilchot Tshuva, the love will be in proportion to the knowledge. Okay, why this quote? 
I mean, come on, that's a great quote. <laughs> um, <laughs> but and, and you know, also knowing that that Herb Moshe said it, um, you know, somebody who who I respect tremendously, um, and I think it's really true for him. But I, I think it's that reminder that even for myself, Torah, it is a lifelong journey, and. It is true for me. The more that I learn, the more that I love it, the more that it becomes a part of me, the more it shapes my life, my values, more of an understanding of God's world, of why we're here, of what our mission is. And I think kind of, you know, anytime I'm able to really set aside um, that time to sit and just focus and just just learn, it it shapes my whole worldview. And um, something, you know, I want to hold on to. This uh, this quote, that the piece that really caught me was the end, uh, was the Rambam, uh, when he speaks about love is in proportion to the knowledge, uh, because I think that a relationship with Torah life and with uh, religion, and whether for some people that's more heavy on the God piece, for some people it's more heavy on the practice piece of halacha, mm-hmm. um, that this really reminds me of a relationship, and that I was actually just today learning with my daughter and she was asking me uh, we're learning right now say for Shoftim and we were learning about Shimshon and she was asking me about how people got married in the time of Tanakh and do they love each other and all those wonderful important questions that eight and a half year olds should be asking their mothers um and, <laughs> and um and I explained to her this concept that love is is something that gets deeper over time and that what people experience in the beginning when they love each other is I didn't use the word romantic love. She doesn't know what that is yet, but is something that is a strong emotion, but that as you grow with somebody and learn to live with them, learn to fight with them, uh, that the love grows. Uh, And I think that just like when we can live with a partner for decades and still find them really miraculously compelling, interesting, uh, somebody that we want to bounce ideas off of, somebody that we want to grow with. It's not move on may love, meaning a lot of couples don't get to that space, but but hopefully many of us do. And that concept of I can be with that person and spend so much time with them and go through so many experiences with them and there still be more to engage with and more to learn with them, that for me is always a really guiding uh, metaphor when I also think about Torah. And I think that's exactly what the Rambam is getting at, meaning I don't think I'm sharing any new point. Yes. I think it's exactly what the Rambam is saying. But what um, an amazing just analogy. Like we're familiar with that, just like we're familiar with that in our in our relationship, that so too it should be with Torah, that after 50 years of living a religious life or 50 years of learning, that we are able to find meaning and to read the same text for the 70 millionth time and to find something totally new that we didn't see before. Um, yes, totally. So that's a really beautiful piece. Thank you so much for sharing it. Um, <laughs> okay. I want us to close, even though we can keep going with, uh, a few questions. Okay. Now I want you just to be associative. Don't, don't think too much. Okay. Whatever comes to your mind, just to, uh, end off our conversation with this sort of, with a small little, uh, personal piece. Great. Okay. Question one, what book or books are currently on your nightstand? <laughs> I have a, I don't have books on my nightstands. It would keep me up all night. I do have a gratitude journal that I write three things and then I'm thankful for that I've had ever since my year in Israel. Um, that it really guides my day. It guides my life. I think about it all the time. Oh, I'll write that in my gratitude journal tonight. Um, 
Highly recommended. Amazing. Is this a, is this a book that you have purchased or just it's a, it's a blank notebook that you you keep all these years? Yes, I I, I bought like a, a mini notebook and now it's filled with lots of things I'm grateful for. Well, okay, that's amazing practice. Um, who <laughs> would you like to sit down with for coffee? Anyone in the world, famous, <laughs> not famous, alive, not alive. Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, of course. I mean, <laughs> it's not even a question. I, I, I'm joking because I can't imagine he would want to sit down <laughs> to have coffee with me. But um, I definitely have a list of questions. And um, wow, I would love to be in his presence. <laughs> okay. We're going to talk about those questions in another episode. <laughs> what is your favorite tefillah, your favorite prayer? Asher Yatsar. No, it might sound uh, it might sound silly, but I think especially, you know, every, everything's good in life, and then anytime anything goes wrong, and I say to myself, I think about that all the time. Like, if one little thing would go wrong, and when it does, it, it takes over the doctor's appointments and everything. And I think, of course, during the times of Corona, um, I've been saying Asher Yatsar with, with that much more Kavana. Wow. What exotic location would you like to visit? I mean, along with the rest of the world, Dubai. <laughs> Got to get over there, find out what's happening. <laughs> Your answers are surprising me. I actually, I, I, I didn't know the whole wanted to go to Dubai because I want to go to Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I got to get in on the UAE action. It is so exciting. <laughs> okay. Uh, any hidden talents? Um, I play harmonica. That, that's definitely a fun one. <laughs> any other instruments yeah yeah i grew up playing piano and guitar and but harmonica is definitely the more hidden one do you have one of those um those holder things i don't know what they're called how else would i play while i play guitar and piano of course <laughs> oh wow okay this is this is gonna be excited for some sort of a concert we'll have to do <laughs> Okay, and since you have a journal, you'll have many answers for this, but you can just pick one. Wait, I will tell you, though, because it's a Matan podcast, that the reason that I started harmonica was because when I was in high school, I loved to sing, and I was very, very frustrated with Kolisha. And my mother bought me a harmonica and told me, if you're ever frustrated, why don't you just pull it out and and like harmonize on the harmonica? And it was was shtick, but I brought it with me to camp one summer, and that's when I really learned to play. It was it was a co-ed camp, Camp Masora. And um, that was very helpful for me at the time. Wow. Um, <laughs> okay. Something that you're grateful for right now in your life? My husband. He's the best. And, you know, during, in general, this is a job where we literally do everything together. There's very little separation between, you know, our work and life balance but certainly during Corona, you know, parenting together, doing everything together. Um, he's the best. I'm very grateful for him. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. I know that this conversation will be illuminating and meaningful for a lot of, uh, a lot of women listening to it. So we really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. 
I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Thank you to Sofia Vindish for producing this episode and the entire Matan team for their input. Please do one-on-one and women's Torah learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and Matan's website, and write us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.